And I have titled my message, God's Roadmap for Life. I want to add to the verses that we read, Proverbs 29, verse 18, where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Also, from Psalm 119, which we will be referring to numbers of times this morning, verse number 11, Thy word have I hidden in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. From the New Testament, some words of Jesus about the Word. John 8, verses 31 and 32. If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Matthew 4, verse 4. Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Along with the verses that come from the booklet, this gives us a tremendous case, a tremendous backdrop for a message titled God's Roadmap for Life. All of these verses say God has a message for all men. He has put the message in his word. We have called it the Bible. That book, the Bible, is more important than money. It is more important than all of your possessions. It is more important than your job. It is even more important than your health, the blessed word of the living God. It is so important because it is God's word to you. No wonder Jesus declared, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We conceive the Bible to be, in actuality, the very word of God. That is important for me to state from this pulpit today because in some circles around the country and the world there is a great deal of controversy about the inerrancy of the Word of God. There is a lot of controversy as to whether or not what we have is the Word of God. We conceive the Bible to be in actuality, the very Word of God. It is His roadmap for our life. I want to make three very important observations in my introduction before I come to the heart of my message today. First of all, that the divine author, God, prompted the original thought in the mind of the writers. Get that. God prompted the very thought, the original thought, in the mind of the men who wrote the books of the Bible. Amos put it this way in chapter 3, verse 8. The Lord God hath spoken. That is what we believe is the word of God. It is the spoken thought 
or mind of God. Peter put it this way in 2 Peter 1.21 when he referred to the Old Testament writers as holy men of old spoke as they were moved upon by the Holy Ghost. It wasn't their thoughts. It was not their concepts, their ideas, but the divine author prompted the original thought in the mind of the writers. The Lord God hath spoken. Secondly, God guided their choice of words to express such thoughts, making it a supernatural book. God guided their choice of words. That could be pictured in God's encounter with Moses or Moses' encounter with God, depending on how you look at it. When he was to go before Pharaoh in the book of Exodus, Moses argued with God about his ability to speak. So God said to Moses, I will be your mouth. Now that's pretty emphatic. I will be your mouth. I will guide the choice of your words, Moses. You don't have to worry about it. Of course, the first five books of the Bible, which we call the Pentateuch, came to us from the pen of Moses. God was his mouth. He guided the choice of words from the thoughts that he put into the mind of Moses and all of the others who have written books in the Bible. Now that brings me to the third thing which really involves you and me. God illumines the mind of the reader of such words in a way that the reader potentially may comprehend the same truth as was originally in the mind of the writer. This is what makes the Bible so significant. God illumines the mind of the reader of such words in a way that the reader potentially may comprehend the same truth as was originally in the mind of the writer. When people say, I can't understand the Bible, they need to open the Bible again and say, author of this book, give me the same idea you gave to the one who wrote this book. And God will do it. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 2.12 this way, We have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. That we might know the things that are freely given to us by God. It is possible for the reader of the Word of God to have his mind illuminated by the author of the whole Bible, the Holy Spirit. What a potential. A group of scientists working together to develop a new explosive received a message from one of their senior colleagues. He warned them to stop all experiments until he could meet with them because he believed that he had come upon a combination of chemicals being used that was excessively dangerous. 
One young, less experienced member of the group ignored the message. He worked at night thinking that maybe he could build prestige through an early discovery or an early success. One night, an explosion rocked the laboratory. The message he ignored proved fatal. His decision brought death. How foolish people say to ignore such a message. I would say that, wouldn't you? But how many try to live day after day ignoring God's message, God's word, God's road map of life? They get up every morning, go to work, go through the day, go to school, come home at night, go through the routine of life, go to bed, get up another day, day after day after day after day after day. They ignore God's message to their life. And somehow they expect to survive. Somehow they expect to succeed. You cannot afford to leave the Word of God out of your life, friend. The danger is too great. I want to talk to you about two aspects of God's Word today. One, men without God's Word, and two, men with God's Word. First of all, men without God's word, from Proverbs 29:18, where there is no vision, the people perish. I want to pick up on that word vision for a moment because it's a significant word in the Old Testament. That term vision stood for more than God's revelation to the prophets. Their messages were called visions. The message of God is the vision without which the people perish. If you doubt the importance of God's vision, God's message, observe how men lived when his word was not a part of their lives. Take, for example, 1 Samuel 3, verse 1. And the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. Now what does this mean? It means that there was no priest or prophet declaring God's message to the people. Oh, there were priests and there were prophets, but they were not declaring God's message to the people. The word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. Applying it to our day, it would be that you would not have the opportunity to come like this and hear the word of God preach. You would not have the opportunity to come at 9 o'clock and go to a Bible class or come on Wednesday night to the Bible study. There was no open vision. You would have to live every day of your life on your own with nobody sharing with you the revealed Word of God. That's the way it was in that time. There was no open vision, no open message, no declaration of God's truth. The priesthood was living in sin. The Bible says of Eli's sons who were serving as priests, they knew not the Lord. They are referred to as sons of Belial in 1 Samuel 2.12. What happened was that the Israelis were overcome by the Philistines. The son of Eli or the sons of Eli were slain in the ark of God that precious instrument 
given to them by God was taken from them by the Philistines. When Eli heard this, he fell off his seat backward and broke his neck and died. His daughter-in-law, Phineas' wife, upon hearing of the death of her husband and her father-in-law, travailed and brought forth a son and called him Ichabod, which means the glory is departed from Israel. The ark of God is taken by the Philistines. What brought these tragedies upon God's people? The word of the Lord was scarce. There was no open vision. Now some reading that passage would say, well, that's God's fault. He did not give them an open vision. Well, it was not God's fault because at first opportunity, if you read carefully, God used Samuel to give the people his word. He was looking for men he could use and there were none to be found until Samuel, as a boy, heard God speak and answered and responded to God. And God used him as a mouthpiece. The problem lay in the people. They failed to make room in their lives for the Word of God, and without it they were doomed. Now, we live in a year of 1983. The Word of God is before us all the time. The tape I mentioned from President Reagan at the National Broadcasters Association has the President declaring to those broadcasters that in a matter of days from the time that meeting was held, he would be signing the declaration that 1983 would be the year of the Bible in the United States of America. And I think that's remarkable and I praise God for it. Just think of that from the President of the United States. This is the year of the Bible and encouraging the citizenry to get into the Word of God. <laughs> Nearly every home in America has a Bible. Bible bookstores dot the landscape. God's revelation, His roadmap is in it. Why then are we in such a mess? Why is there such rebellion? There is a generation that have neglected the Word of God. If you would walk up to the average young person on the street in America anywhere today and say, could you tell me what John 3.16 says? They would look at you with a blank stare. John who? I don't think I've met him. the very golden text of the Bible, because we have raised a generation that knows not the God of the Bible, let alone the Bible itself. Indifference, scorn to the things of the Word of God are a part of our time. All kinds of things have crowded out his message, and we are following in the same steps of the Israelites. We will perish. Unless we come back to the Word of God, no wonder the President has declared this to be the year of the Bible. He understands our problem. He knows where the source of help is, just as Daniel Webster did years ago when he was Secretary of State, one of the most acclaimed men of our history. 
In his day, he was the greatest orator, the greatest jurist and statesman of his day. He loved the Bible. He said in the presence of Professor Sanborn of Dartmouth College, as he placed his hand on a copy of the scriptures, this is the book, he said. I have read through the entire Bible many times. I make it a practice to go through it once a year. It is the book of all others for lawyers as well as divines, and I pity the man that cannot find in it a rich supply of thought and rules for his conduct. It fits man for life. It prepares him for death. On another occasion, he declared, if we abide by the principles taught in the Bible, our country will go on prospering and to prosper. But if we and our posterity neglect its instruction and authority, no man can tell how suddenly a catastrophe may overwhelm us and bury our glory in profound obscurity. Notice the words of Daniel Webster, a catastrophe may overwhelm us and bury our glory. Are we close to that point? Men without God's word... Has the spirit of Madeline Murray O'Hare taken its toll? God have mercy on her. I would hate to be in the shoes of any person who determined to remove the word of God from a society that established its constitution on that very book who put the name of the God of the Bible on its coins who insists on having chaplains in the Congress and the legislators or the legislatures of our land and has chaplains in the military services of the country, I pity a person who endeavors to remove that landmark from that society. God have mercy on her soul. But I ask you today, has her efforts taken a toll upon our citizenry? Where is the Word of God in your life? Are we on our way to that catastrophe? Are we on our way to having our glory buried because we, though we have had the copies in our homes and though we have had His name on our coins, we have not really read it and we have not really obeyed it. We've been going our own way as they did in Samuel's day. No open vision. God have mercy on us if that be the case. Because the vision, if it is not seen, if it is not there, if it is not recognized, brings about a perishing civilization. But thank God there's another part to that verse. Proverbs 29:18 ends with these words, He that keepeth the law, happy is he. Men with God's word. The law mentioned in the last half of the text is not different from the vision mentioned in the first half. They're the same, the message of God. Why will we be happy if we base our lives upon the word of God? Is there some magic in it? it is, is it like a rabbit's foot around the neck? Is it some charm? 
to ward off accidents and can you be assured if you read it every day you'll not have an automobile accident you'll never encounter cancer your loved ones will never die of course not but God's word will become an active force actually altering the course of our lives it is a road map showing us how to get to the end result to the place we want to be and on the way to be happy and fulfilled and to be in obedience to God. I want to point out some things that this book speaks about. In the pages of the Bible, there are some tremendous secrets for life. God's Word in the hearts of men. One of them is Psalm 119, verse 11. I learned this verse as a child. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. You see, this word will keep us from sin. This book, somebody said, will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. And how true it is. Why is there so much sin? Why is it that we have so much idolatry in our land today? Because we are not into the book. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. The absence of it brings sin. The presence of it keeps sin away. A man on his way to rob a small store in his community testified to this. He said, I'd lost my job. I was out of money. And I was on my way to rob a store when I passed a church and on the sign in front of the church I read the verse that I learned as a child. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. It stopped me dead in my tracks. I realized my sin. I repented. I gave my heart to the Lord. And that man became a respected citizen. The word of God showed him his sin. Now we have people saying we can't put the Word of God up on billboards anymore. It's distracting. People going down the highway will read it and they'll take their eye off of the street and have an accident. All kinds of ridiculous things to keep the Word of God out of our vision, out of our view. If that sign hadn't been on the front of that church... That man may not have only robbed the store, but may have killed the clerk. Who knows? But because he saw God's word, it struck his heart and he stopped his sinning and became a respected citizen in the community. The best program against crime I've ever come across, the word of God. It'll keep men from sin. You've had a hard time with sin. It's probably because you've had a hard time with the word of God. You haven't been into the Word. You're not hiding it in your heart because it will do what it said. It will keep you from sin. The second thing it will do is guide you daily. We have people in our churches today making up their own decisions, going their own way, choosing their own course. But David said in Psalm 119, verse 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The paths of people's lives seem more tangled today than ever before. Some of the counseling situations the pastoral staff have are just unbelievable. 
you can hardly make the thing make sense. There is so much of a, a turn here and a turn there and a tangle here and a tangle there, all because of men's decisions. We need God's Word to light the way we face the danger of losing our sense of value today. Social status above contented living, pleasure above service, money above honesty, scheming above integrity. Because we have not looked at the lamp, the light, God's Word, the Bible will keep us walking in the will of God and in happiness. Happy is he who keeps the law. That's God's desire. I can testify of that. I cannot think back, and I did this morning, trying to find a place in my life where I felt I was off base, where I was misdirected, where I was out of the will of God. And do you know I couldn't think of one place that God has led me all the way, His lamp, His light has been there to show me the path, not that it's been totally easy, but it's been happy, it's been wonderful, it's been glorious. The schooling, the marriage, the pastor, it's all that God has opened up has been according to His will. I have not one regret as I stand here before you today to the glory of God because I've had His Word in my hand since I was a kid. As long as I can remember, the book has been the order of the life. It's true. It's a lamp and a light, and you'll not err therein. I told you before what I learned when I went to Israel the first time. Saw these little lamps, the ancient lamps of Israel, little tiny things, holding a little bit of oil with a little wick. And I learned that they used to tie them around their ankles, one lamp around each ankle, and they would take those lamps on their ankles at night to go out where there were no lights. David saw that, and he said, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. You pick up a foot and you put it down, there's a light. You can take another step. You put that one down, there's enough light. You take another step. David got inspired when he saw that thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my pathway. You don't need to err. You don't need to look back and say all the time, I shouldn't have done that. What a stupid decision. What have I gotten myself into? The word of God is a guide to life. If we'll read it, pay attention to it. Let God speak to us from it. There's something there for every situation in life if we pay attention to it. Often we turn to it when we're in the corner and on our face, destitute, rather than taking it up before we make the decision and say, God, by your Spirit, speak to me through this book that I'll do what is right, what is godly, and what will be beneficial. Thirdly, God's Word will bring strength in difficulty. Psalm 119, verse 49, This is my comfort in my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me. Psalm 119, verse 28, The psalmist prayed, My soul melteth for heaviness. Strengthen thou me according unto thy word. Now you see, David was the king of Israel. There were no psychologists that I know of around, no psychiatrists. 
No counseling sessions. What did he use? In his affliction, in his mourning, in his time of trouble, he used the word. A counselor without the word is useless. All it is is man's idea, man's concept. We need God's concept, God's word. David said in his distress, thy word hath quickened me. Why have we not seen it? Why do we search here and there? Give me a Bible over any counseling situation, and I'll guarantee you there will be revelation through if you stay long enough and read hard enough. There'll be an answer from God. In affliction, in difficulty, God spoke. All of you know about Corrie Ten Boom, delightful lady in her 80s, went through the prison camp of World War II. A hiding place came out of her experience as she wrote, Barracks 8 was in quarantine compound. Next to us, perhaps as a deliberate warning to newcomers, were located the punishment barracks. From there all day long and often into the night came the sounds of hell itself. They were not sounds of anger or of any human emotion, but of a cruelty altogether detached. Blows landing in regular rhythm, screams keeping pace. We would stand ten deep in our ranks with our hands trembling at our sides, longing to jam them against our ears to make the sounds stop. It grew harder and harder. Even within these four walls there is too much misery, too much seeming pointless suffering. Every day something else failed to make sense. Something else grew too heavy. But as the rest of the world grew stranger, one thing became increasingly clear, and that was the reason Betsy and I were here. Why others suffer, we were not shown. As for us, whenever we were not in ranks for roll call, our Bible was the center of an ever-widening circle of hope. Like waifs clustered around a blazing fire, we gathered around it, holding out our hearts to its warmth and light. The blacker the night grew, the brighter and truer and more beautiful burned the Word of God. Oh, what a testimony. In difficulty, there was the Word. In difficulty, there was the pure, unadulterated message of God to those poor prisoners. And a wider circle came week by week, almost day by day, gathered around the Word, it burned as a light in a dark hell. It burned to give them hope. To neglect God's Word means no roadmap, no message from God, no vision, and the result we perish. But he that trusteth the law, happy, happy is he. Over and over again, this book speaks of its power, a lamp under my feet. James says it's like a mirror in chapter 1, verses 22 and 24. Jeremiah 23, 29 says it's like a fire and hammer. That's why we feel so uncomfortable when we hear it or read it. 
It's breaking our sin in pieces, and we don't like the feeling. It's burning out the dross, all the junk that accumulates, and, and we kind of get restless at that feeling of God dealing with us, but we have to have it. It's a fire and a hammer. Jeremiah 15, 16 says, God's word is like a food. Thy words were found, and I did eat them, and thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart. You understand that language? God's word is like refreshing snow and rain, Isaiah 55, 10 and 11 says. 1 Peter 2, 2 says, it's necessary for growth as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. How many of you have a copy with you today? Hold it up, will you? Just lift it up. Let me see how many road maps are in church today. Look at there. Look at all around, up and down. God's road map. Got to have one with you all the time. Is it precious to you? Have you read it since we gathered last? Have you worked in the book you've had and we've spent money to give you, or has it just been sitting around collecting dust? Oh, pastor will preach about it. I'll understand it then instead of getting in there and filling it out. You see, I fill my own out. It's a blessing. I've got the verse for the week there and the key word and the definition and the meaning. What does it say to me? I need it just like you need it. See, we have all these things, but do we really appreciate them? Do we really thank God for them? June Hunt wrote a delightful little book. She's the daughter of the multimillionaire. Mr. Hunt, H.L. Hunt. She wrote a book titled Above All Else. And in that little book, she talked about a trip she had to East Germany with a friend of hers by the name of Carolyn. They passed from West Berlin into East Berlin and on into East Germany, and they were coming into a little city called Pilsen, P-I-L-S-E-N, in East Germany. As they approached the city, she said, I began to feel a little ill in body, so when they stopped the bus, in the heart of the city, I didn't get out. I just didn't feel like it. And Carolyn stayed with me, and the rest went in for refreshments and to change the pace a bit. And as we were sitting there alone in the bus, we suddenly became aware of a man peering in through the window of the bus at us. Carolyn got out to approach him to see if he wanted to talk, and he reluctantly began to speak in broken English to Carolyn. He said, I noticed the lettering on the side of your bus was in English, and I, I just wanted to see if I could speak with somebody who speaks a little English. And as they talked, he told her that he had been a successful engineer, and he had a large home of his own, and then communism took over, and now six families lived in his house, which he no longer owned with him. He'd lost the freedom that he had fought for. June Hunt said, I will never forget his face. I opened the window to try to listen as Carolyn was talking to him outside the bus, and I got so interested I finally got up, even though I didn't feel good, and went out to stand with them. Out of curiosity, she said, I asked him if he had a Bible. I've heard a lot about how they treat the Word of God in communist countries, and I wanted to know, do you have a Bible? With his head bowed, he slowly related that he had written many letters 
to Canada, the United States. He said, I asked for Bible, but never received Bible. At this point, June left Carolyn talking to the man and went inside the bus remembering her white New Testament that a friend had given to her, a very special gift, and she picked it up in her hand and pondered her feelings. It was a special gift, but something within her said, give it to the man. She finally walked out of the bus with that little New Testament in her hand and offered it to him, saying, here, I want you to have this. He protested at first, saying, no, I, I cannot take your Bible. But she said, I can get a Bible anywhere I want to in the United States. I have many copies of my own at home. Finally, he carefully and tenderly took it, she said, and held it very close to him. Then he opened it up very carefully, and with his index finger, he started to go down Matthew chapter 5, and he began to read out loud with careful deliberation, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. She said the chill bumps came as he read it, standing there in East Germany. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. He read on, Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Tears welled up in his eyes as he read the word of God. When he finished, he took his billfold out of his pocket, took a tattered little piece of parchment, that was wrapped up carefully in his billfold and said to June, please take this, this is all I have. I want you to have it. She looked at that little piece of paper and it was one verse of scripture, his Bible, all he had, tenderly and carefully wrapped up and placed in his billfold. Psalm 119, 105 was what her tear-stained eyes read as she looked at that one piece of God's word that that man possessed in all the world. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That's all he had. Carried it with him everywhere he went. How precious was that one verse. She said, here I had hesitated to give him just part of a Bible, but he was willing to give me everything he had. One verse of one chapter of the one and only Bible he probably had ever seen. For the first time in my life, she said, I was able to understand what David said in Psalm 119.97. Oh, how love I thy law. Thy word is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. I don't know how many copies you have at your house. I have shelves lined in my office, and I have Bibles at home and books about the Bible. Not just one little piece, complete texts, many translations. How precious is this book to you? Church, I'm talking to you today. You're going to be judged from this book. This is the only basis of judgment in eternity, this book. 
Blessed are they that keep thy law. Happy is he that keeps the law. Why will we not learn that God's revelation comes through this book to our hearts and our minds? It gives us clarity of thought when there's turmoil all around us. Shows us who to marry. Shows us what kind of job we ought to get. Shows us where to go to church. Shows us what kind of family to raise. What kind of discipline to administer. When they're saying you ought not to spank, you just open the word and see if it's in there and you'll find it's in there. Nonsense. You know as well as I know we all need to be spanked once in a while even when we grow up. And God was so wise, he said, they won't even die if you hit them across the back of the lap once in a while. But you see, man says, well, we're smarter now than God. We know that that's not the way. You reason with them. Sure, you bet. <laughs> Caleb is staying at our house for three days. I'd like you to try to reason with Caleb. Eighteen months old, packed with dynamite. Every movement is a whole story in itself. Doesn't know how to sit still for ten seconds. Everything is a mystery. Everything he sees is an opportunity to destroy. <laughs> you reason with him. got caught up with the ways of the world. We've forgotten the road map. It'll show you every answer you've ever needed in life. It'll keep you from misery. Are you reading it? What about the Bible study on Wednesday night? Why don't some of you come? Is the Word of God important? What about Sunday school classes? Opportunities to strengthen your walk with God. In an affluent society where Bibles are everywhere, could it be that we've gotten so used to them we don't even think about them anymore? I want to call you back to the Word today. I want to call you back to the book. Make it the most important thing in your life. You spend as much time in this as you do the bee or the union, you spend as much time in this as you do some of your favorite magazines. Happy is he that keeps the law. And without the vision, the people perish. Let's take a lesson from history and benefit from it today. What do you say? Let's bow in prayer.